Hey family, welcome back. Before we get started, I want to thank our friends at the Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation. Let's hear what they have to offer. The Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation is your one-stop shop to Wellville. Here at the Center, we believe in treating the whole person. This is why our goal is to help each of our clients to obtain optimal health and wellness through mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional alignment. For more information about the services that we provide, visit us at thecenterforselfimprovement.com or give us a call at 630-748-4849. The Center, where we believe in treating the whole you. So here's my confession. When I first walked on the campus of Eastern Illinois University, I was lost, confused, and to be quite frank, lonely. There were a few queens who I vividly recall reaching out and making sure my college experience was warm and welcoming. Kristen J. Woodruff was definitely one of those sisters. Two years later, we found ourselves joining the same sorority. Side by side, we crossed over to the land of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. Like the rest of us, Kristen moved on from her college years and began to live her life. She became an educator, mother, and eventually found a life for herself teaching abroad. To my surprise, those experiences after college life led Kristen through some pretty tough roads. She has decided to share her story in her highly anticipated book, You Are Not a Mess, Reclaiming Your Self-Worth in the Midst of Brokenness. On today's show, Kristen, who you will hear me call Ship as a sentiment to our bond of sorors, shares her journey through her undergrad experience to overcoming brokenness. Now, please accept my sincerest apologies. When we recorded the show, I was experiencing some internet connection issues a complete nightmare for a podcaster. You will hear some delays and challenges with the audio. Again, I apologize for that. But nevertheless, this story is one to be heard. Kristen, Ship, Sora, friend, I am so proud of you. Let's take a listen. Ship, how are you? Hey, Ship. I'm doing great. How you doing? I am elated to talk to you today. This is so dope. So... You know, I have a confession every week. Can I, can I please share my confession with you? Of course, of course. So it's, it's fall 2001. I'm on a, a predominantly white campus. I don't know anybody, especially nobody black. And, and there were a few very nice young ladies who were always so nice and greeting me and asking me how I'm enjoying college. And it just so happened that you were one of them. And I always remembered that you really made a big difference in my freshman year. So I want to thank you for pouring into me and then sharing your journey with us today. Oh, that is such a wonderful confession. And thank you for sharing that. Yes, you were always just somebody that stood out and I gravitated towards you. So I'm so glad that we were able to connect. And now here it is 18 years later, we're still in touch. So yeah. that's definitely been a blessing. And we, we became sorors and, you know, you have such a wonderful journey that I've been able to witness, but you know, right now you're actually sharing that with everybody, with the world now. And so I'm so excited to have you on the show because you are an author now, you know, you yes. are a founder, you're doing a lot of different stuff. So let's talk about the journey to this point and how you are not a mess came about. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, first, I want to just say thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to even share. So I thank you for that. 
So yes, so my book, You Are Not a Mess, Reclaiming Your Self-Worth in the Midst of Brokenness, actually came out of a very dark place that I was going going through at a certain period of my life. And actually around a little bit after the time that I graduated from undergrad from Eastern is when a lot of my story began in terms of what I mentioned in my book and which inspired the title, inspired the book and my journey. And I think a lot of what I carried into that season of my life was from my childhood, from experiences that I had in high school. And I didn't realize how much my self-esteem and my, my feelings of worth had, were mixed in with that. Um, my parents divorced when I was 12. So I didn't have my father in the household as a teenager. And so I believe that really played a big part on my what I thought about myself and how I wanted to get the attention of men that were coming into my life. And so all throughout high school and even parts of college, you know, I was getting in and out of these relationships, but not really understanding what a relationship meant or the value of who I was or my body or my worth. And I was really I didn't know how that would affect me later on. So as I graduated from Eastern, I got into a relationship with, um, with a man who I ended up actually having, um, we have a child together. So my 11 year old son and the relationship lasted off and on for about five years. And I just remember giving this man everything, you know, just everything, you know, my time, you know, just compromising everything. And I just really, really thought that this man was going to be my husband. I was in my early 20s and all throughout, you know, childhood and my teen years, I had this idea in my head that by my 20s that I would be married, I would have this family and I would, you know, live in this nice house and work this nice job and just kind of have that happily ever after lifestyle. So I guess that came from watching too much TV. And so I, when that relationship went sour, it went south. We, you know, we just kind of had a little bit of a halt in the relationship. It was very devastating to me. So we took a few months off and I remember being, like I said, in my early twenties and he came back around in my life and I was just so excited at the opportunity to be able to try this thing again, hoping that it would work. Well, a few months into that experience, I ended up pregnant and I didn't know how to react at first. I was extremely scared. You know, none of my friends were pregnant. My family, you know, made me feel as though I just committed such a hateful crime and I didn't really have the support so I felt really isolated and alone during my pregnancy and because I wasn't married I felt very ashamed I felt that you know I wasn't going to be any good that I felt that my life was over I, I really honestly felt that you know what, what am I going to do with my life I'm going to you know just be this woman who had a baby out of wedlock and living on welfare for the rest of my life. So my son was born, his dad did come back around and we decided to live together. And at that time, I just knew that, okay, I had this baby, I was with him for this amount of years, I know for sure that this is going to work out. I mean, he has to marry me now. So uh, here I am again, putting myself out there 
And so I did the one thing that I told myself I would never do, which is live with a man before marriage. So we moved in together. And again, I was trying to make this happy home and make everything work out. And it did not. I found out that he was unfaithful and there was a lot of other things that were happening. Um, also, by the way, at the time, I decided to go back for my master's in elementary education because I knew that at that time it would probably be easier for me since my son was so young as opposed to waiting a few years, few years down the road. And I knew that I was in need of making a career change because that I, I had an amount to feed. I'm a mother now and I needed to make sure that I had a stable career. And education was always something that I valued and I was interested in becoming, but I did not go that route in undergrad. And so during the time of us living together, I was doing my master's program. I was working full time and also dealing with the trauma and the stress of the relationship, just not working out. So I broke that off very soon um, and realized that I needed to move on, but I didn't know how to move on because I was still bitter and angry and hurt that I'd given almost five years of my life to a man that did not marry me, you know, someone that I had a child by, who I actually lived with, who I did everything that I thought I could possibly do to, to garner the attention and the acceptance and the validation from uh, this man. And I did not get what I thought I would get out of the whole situation. So it, it, it broke me down to a point to where I wanted to seek revenge. I wanted to get him back for every piece of hurt that he caused me. And what made it worse was about three months after the breakup, he was picked my son up to have him for the weekend. And he was already in another relationship. So that was really painful. And so I found myself seeking out the attention of other men to kind of console the pain that I was dealing with at that time. So, you know, just dating haphazardly, very randomly, not really taking caution in, in just my actions. I was just really trying to find coping mechanisms, something to make me feel better about myself, better about my situation. And on top of that, I wanted to get looked to everybody else that was watching, that I had my life together, that yes, the breakup happened, but look at me, I've moved on, I have a new man, everything is great. So I wanted that impression, but I was only hurting myself and I was only damaging everything else around me. I mean, my parenting has just completely wasn't even I wasn't really parenting properly. I wasn't giving my son the attention that he deserved. I just found myself feeling really low. I went through a stage of depression. I went through a stage of isolation. I just really felt my self-worth and my self-esteem just plummet to an all-time low. And I just really, like I said, found myself in and out of a lot of toxic situations where men became verbally abusive, um, not really necessarily physically abusive, but definitely verbal, mental abuse, um, just a lot of toxic energy that I dealt with. I, I dealt with people um, taking advantage 
um, using me, cheating, lying, everything. But I stayed because I felt this is what I deserve. This is the best that I can get. And I also, like I said, wanted to appear to the rest of the world that I had it going on, that I was still okay, despite the fact that this relationship didn't work out as I planned it to do to be. So let me let me look as if I have myself together. Let me look at, as if I have a man on my side. Because at that time, because I didn't understand my worth or value, I felt that I needed all of that to feel important, to feel special. And I think a lot of this came from childhood. Some of it must have come from my teen years um, and not having the support of a two-parent household. My mother was working two different jobs and she wasn't emotionally available. So I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to. I didn't have, at the time, a lot of women that were around me that were helping to mentor me. So a lot of things I had to learn as I go. So I really credit a lot of the decisions that I made in my 20s to the fact that I didn't have that support system and mentoring stability that I think that I should have had as I was growing up. And so that's where the title came from, Lauren. I honestly felt like a mess. I felt that my life was literally spiraling out of control. Um, it got so bad. I was in a relationship where the guy was very abusive. Um, he stalked me. He was just abusive to my son. Um, he just, it was just a really, really toxic relationship. I, I share it in my book. I share, I share actually three different relationships that were the most toxic during that time of my life in my book. So I go into really a lot of the details of what I experienced and how those experiences propelled me to actually take a huge leap of faith and move abroad. Okay, so tell us about going abroad, moving abroad. What, what made you, because now you're a teacher, you've gone back to school, you become an educator, and you've left the country. What was that like? Well, that's a great question, Lauren. So when I was 16, my uncle, who is a retired college professor, he had a lot of international students, so he would travel abroad pretty often. At that time, I was taking some Spanish classes in high school, and he knew that I had interest in the language. So he asked my dad if he, if he could take me with him on his next trip to Spain. And, you know, at first, I didn't know what to expect, but I was really excited with the opportunity. So I went with my uncle for two weeks to Spain and Portugal. And I'm telling you, that experience literally just changed my life. And it really gave me a different perspective on the world and just, you know, showed me something from a different light. You know, I'm, I'm eating different type of food. I'm hearing different languages. I'm seeing how different cultures how their way of life is, how how I connected with the other this this other culture. And I knew deep down inside this was something that I wanted to experience again. So fast forward uh ten years later, here I find myself in my master's program and I remember hearing somebody that was in my cohort talking about how they had an opportunity to do their student teaching abroad. Well I brought this up to the attention of my uh counselor at the time who kind of discouraged me from even considering that. I think a lot of times the stigma was that I'm Black, I'm a single mom, you know, why would I even consider such an opportunity and let me just stick with the South suburbs of Chicago. So she pretty much put it to me like that, that 
I, it wasn't a good idea that maybe I should not even consider the idea. So she didn't even approve it. And it was kind of, I was kind of running short on time. So I didn't push it as much as I could have. And I needed to finish the program. So I said, you know what? I don't accept no. If it's something I know that is a interest of mine, I'm going to push until I know I get what I want out of it. <laughs> so I graduated from my program and a year after, a year after I graduated, I found, I looked at this program online and it was for student teachers who were wanting to teach abroad. Well, by this time I was done with my program, so I didn't need to worry about student teaching, but I still wanted to do some volunteer work abroad in another country, in another classroom. Since I had already taught for a year, I could have some experiences on my end that I could take to be this new environment. And then I could also take what I learned in that environment and apply it to my environment. And so they had an opportunity to teach or to volunteer teach in Costa Rica. And again, this is a Spanish speaking country. I knew a little Spanish. I said, okay, fine, why not? It was only two weeks. I said, at the time, my son was very young. He was probably about two and a half, maybe going on three. My mother was very open to allowing him to stay. And I went for it. I had a fundraiser of some sort. Uh, back then, they didn't have GoFundMe, but I think I reached out to friends and family and asked if they could help to contribute to my trip. And June 20, 2011, I went to Costa Rica and I volunteered, taught in this classroom. And I just thought, wow, you know, there's so many similarities and there's so many differences. You know, that wasn't even a half of the experience. You know, that's what I went for. But I, what I really got out of it was the fact that I was living in this other country temporarily. I was staying in a... Um, a house with a family that would, you know, take in teachers and I was eating the food. I was, you know, walking everywhere, taking the bus or public transportation. I was going to some of the cultural events in the area. And I just was so amazed. I just couldn't believe that life, I could enjoy life in another country in, in this capacity, you know, and learn so much and just be exposed. And I just remember thinking I would love to bring my son around this or i would I, I would love to do this again but get paid for it because mind you this was volunteer work so i wasn't getting money for it so i get home after my two-week trip in costa rica and i was just super just excited that i had the opportunity just amazed at everything that i experienced but and i knew in the back of my mind i said you know i, I gotta do this again i don't know how i'm gonna do it again but i'm gonna do this again so fast forward another year, and I find myself in one of those toxic relationships. And this one was the one that kind of pushed me over the edge. So this was with a guy that was a lot older than me, um, who was just, just really taking advantage of me and just um, doing a lot of stuff that I didn't agree with. So long story short, it got to a really bad point in the relationship where I really wanted out, but because he was very controlling and manipulative, I was honestly scared for my life. I didn't know how to get out of it without putting up a fight, if you will. So I remember one day I was home from work and I was in the bed sick as a dog. I was so sick. I don't know what was going on with me, but I was literally in the bed for two days. 
And something in my spirit, and I say this is God, said, just what about those, you know, look up something, look up online jobs or teaching positions overseas. And so I randomly went online. I did a couple of Google searches and I found a program called Teach Away. And they said that they were looking to hire teachers from the States to come and teach in, the, in, in these different countries. And so mind you, I was still, I had my, my mind focused on Costa Rica because I had such an amazing experience. And I didn't know anything else because I'd never been to another country outside of Spain. So I said, you know, I really would love to go back to Costa Rica and, you know, live and work there for a few years and, you know, get paid for it. So I went online. I, they responded to me very quickly and said, you know, we don't have any jobs in Costa Rica, but we do have some positions open in the United Arab Emirates. And of course, you know, we hear all these things about how the Middle East is a very dangerous place to live. It's a war zone and it's a very, it's a Muslim based country. If that's not your forte, this would not necessarily be a good thing for you. So I had, I shared it with some close family members and friends who most of the people I told looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. Um, and I even started to doubt myself at, at one point because I thought, well, maybe I am a little bit crazy for thinking about teaching abroad. But anyway, I kept pushing through the process because something in me said, you know what, I need, I can do better. You know, I can do better than where I'm at right now. I wasn't happy with my life. I was in this destructive relationship. My job was doing pretty well, but you know, it was time for a change. And I just needed to get out of my environment. I knew there was something deeper in me that needed to be birthed. And I didn't know how that was going to happen, but I just knew that it wasn't going to happen if I kept, if I stayed stuck with where I was. So anyway, I got really far into the application process and I ended up having an in-person interview. And about maybe two weeks later, I was offered the position. I did tell most of my family what was going on, you know, and again, they weren't very supportive at all because they were more so, I think, out of fear of the unknown. I feel a lot of times when people don't know based on their, their lack of experience, they just discourage you because they, they just don't know any better. So I had to really, that season of my life was a lot about stepping out on faith and really taking the initiative to stand up for what I felt that I deserved. I had to start, that was the beginning stages of me recognizing that I deserved more. That was the beginning stages of me recognizing that I do have value, that I am worth it, and I know that there's better out there for me. And so even when I communicated it to my then boyfriend, he was doing his best to not, get me to go um and even tried to come along with me when i shared with him some of the benefits of you know going so it got to the point where i don't know if you remember this lauren but he proposed to me did i do you remember that i think i knew about any of this so basically i um in january of 2013 is when I started to apply for the, the job. Well, I told him about it because, you know, he was my boyfriend at the time, so I did share it with him, not knowing that it was spiraling to something really crazy. Well, I found myself a month later being proposed to, and in hindsight, I look back like, wow, I think he did that so that, you know, to kind of keep me 
stuff. So yeah, I posted it all over Facebook and you know, all this stuff. But in deep down in my spirit, I knew that this was just not right. I thought, well, maybe if he, if I marry this man, that it would, everything would work out that we would, you know, have this amazing relationship, things would improve and all this good stuff. But in actuality, it wasn't, that wasn't the case. Well, moving forward, I didn't move, go, of course, forward with the engagement. I decided to take on the position to move abroad. I ran into so many obstacles along the way, um, especially in relation to my son. And we can go into more of that later. But that is actually how, what really pushed me. I was going through a really, really traumatic time in my life. I needed to get away. Um, and also coupled with my interest of curiosity of living abroad after those two experiences that I already have. And I will say that I do recall two things. I recall even in college, you talking about always wanting to be outside of Illinois and wanting to explore. You wanted to go to HBCU. You wanted to experience different things that, you know, you weren't really at the time afforded the opportunity to do. And I also remember the day, now that I think about it, the day I realized you no longer lived in the U.S. Like somebody told me that you were, that you were in Dubai or someplace. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? She's, she's moved. She's not, she doesn't, cause I had myself, I had disappeared for some time. So I wasn't even aware that any of that stuff was happening though. And so it just goes to show how much women deal with. And I also wasn't on social media up until a couple of years ago. So I was completely in the dark on that. And so that's, that's, that's pretty amazing um, to know that you have, you've experienced all of these things, but you still, this is the thing that, that I'm most impressed about with you is that you were still able to gather the strength and make a bold decision to just go, just go. Now, what was that experience like when you were living abroad? Yes. Okay. Yes. So thank you for acknowledging that because it is such a bold step. I don't think people realize you know, I think it looks glamorous to live in Dubai and to, you know, experience another country, but it was such a huge transition. And, and I honestly went before my son went with me. So I went by myself and just, you know, getting adjusted to a new country, a new culture, a new language, not speaking the language, not speaking any Arabic, just the way of life works, being in a whole new school environment. Everything was such a culture shock to me, honestly. I mean, I was in such a shock for the first probably two months of me even living there. I would say it probably took me a full, almost six months before I, I got a, adjusted to the fact that, wait a minute, I'm actually living in this new country. And this is because I was so used to being stateside and doing things that way, you know, going to another country and realizing they do it a completely different way. It was a lot. And I you know as an adult, we get so stuck in our way. So that was very big. But overall, my experience was unlike any other that I've ever had. I have lived in two countries now abroad teaching. So, but my first experience in the UAE taught me so much. It really honestly did. It taught me a lot about modesty. It taught me a lot about myself. Wow. I mean, honestly, I call that in my book, I call it the, my wilderness season because I found myself escaping this traumatic and toxic relationship only to find myself literally in the wilderness. I was in, in a new country. I didn't know anybody. I was, you know, trying to find my way, trying to learn a new way of life. And I was in a wilderness state. Um, that's when I really started to say, hey, this is, this is my opportunity to pick myself back up, 
and figure out who Kristen is and figure out the direction that that my life is going. And that is at that time when I started to really seek God. You know, I joined this Bible study, this all women's Bible study group when I first got to to the country and they had they were just such an amazing support system for me and just you know every week we would just have bible study and pray and just have these support groups and that was just life changing and I know God ordained for me to go through that but it was in that moment that I began to really discover my strength again discover um you know who I was and where I wanted my life to go and really start figuring out you know, my purpose. So also during that time, because it was such a huge transition, I began to journal. So one of my very close cousins, before I left, as a gift of mine, a gift to me, she gave me a journal. And I used that journal. As soon as I hit that first day I got into the country, I honestly used that journal as my, my way of escape, my venting um, opportunity. And it just, it was just, sharing my experiences I was talking about every you know bit of frustration I was dealing with every challenge I had how much I miss my family how much I miss my son because my son wasn't there at the time and just every all the emotions that I was dealing with you know but it was it, it, in all of that stuff that I just shared with you I knew deep down inside that I was meant to be there and this was a growing phase for me I was just growing and going through but this is what I needed so fast forward, let's say a few months after I was there, I remember really just kind of feeling like, wow, as I was journaling, all these different ideas about books were coming to mind. And even, you know, the idea of you are not a mess even came to mind back then. And I remember getting on my computer and kind of jotting place. I was in a place of healing and self-recognition so I could be in the place of opening up. But prior to that, I was so bogged down with the toxicity that I couldn't even see past my struggles and my pain. So I masked that and I, and I didn't, and I'm saying all that to say also that I didn't even realize that I liked to write. And that's crazy. I remember as a child, I loved to journal. I used to write stories as a child. When I was in high school, we would have those long 10-page papers, and all of my friends would be like, oh my gosh, I got to write this paper. And I remember 10-page papers were a piece of cake to me. I really loved writing. I thought it was so interesting. And I never thought about it like that. I just, I never, ever put two and two together that writing was something that was my passion and part of my purpose or a, a gift that God had given me. And I think because I went through life in, in fast forward mode, and was so focused on, you know, these relationships and so focused on, you know, the college years and so focused on, you know, motherhood that I didn't really hone into that extra skill. So a few months after being there is when I really started getting into writing. And honestly, that's when You Are Not a Mess the whole concept began while I was overseas. So you, at one point you were there, you were experiencing all these different things. You, I mean, I'm pretty sure there were ups and downs or all types of stuff. Your son also lived with you at some point. I, I want to know a little bit about what that experience was like for a, a mother, a single mother living abroad with a child, especially a black boy in another country away from his family as well. What was that experience like? Oh, Lauren, yes. I, I mean, I can write a whole nother book on that experience alone because I went through so much with my son, you know, and I honestly thought that coming to another country 
would, yes, open up these new experiences for him, but I was really ignorant to the fact that I didn't think that he would have the same level of negativity that he had experienced even at an early age of six in the States that he would have overseas. And so he didn't come. My mom brought him over uh, December. So I was there about five months alone. And I remember really asking around for schools and programs to put him in because I, as a parent and as an educator, it's very important to me that my son is exposed to a good and conducive environment for his, not only for his learning, but for his development as a young man. And especially, you know, being black, you know, we're here, we are in this Muslim country with, you know, Emirati students and, and just people from all over the world. I wanted him to feel that, yes, he is, um, that he, he doesn't have to feel any form of rejection, if you will, in that, those spaces. So I, I found this one school, <laughs> Um, I didn't like it at first, but I mean, I just felt that he wasn't being challenged enough. So I remember speaking up and confronting the teacher who I believe she was also from the States, um, a white teacher. And I just said, you know, Hey, can you give him, you know, some, some different type of work? Because I, I believe he's getting bored. He needs to be challenged. And, you know, I just want him to have a good, you know, experience while he's here. You know, and I got a lot of pushback from that. I mean, to the point where the teacher was avoiding me when she would see me. I think she even brought it up to the principal who then confronted me. And I mean, I remember having these big blowouts in the principal's office. I mean, just putting me down, just a lot of rejection, you know, just really. And at that point, I guess I didn't realize my power because I felt so limited because I was in this other country. I didn't feel that I had the same voice that I would had I been in the United States in terms of what people could get away with and what I could actually have the power to do. But if this was a situation here in the States, there's no, there's no way that a principal or somebody in leadership could get away with talking to me like that. But I just remember in her office crying because I couldn't believe that I was being treated in such a way. And I just felt like because of who I was because I was this black woman. I was a single mom, and they knew that, and they felt that I needed them more than I, um, more than they needed me. So I felt a lot of rejection. So I remember um, there was this play. This is this was the final straw. So so mind you, just piggybacking a little bit. She didn't really give my son any more challenging work. I felt that she, you know, was isolating him. She started treating him a little, a little differently. All of a sudden, there was some behavior issues, which my son has never had behavior problem before. Um, and it was just, I wasn't seeing his performance in school. I wasn't really seeing much of a, um, a shift for him. So anyway, there was this play. And I, I honestly don't remember what the play was about, but I, I, I just remember the characters. And there was my son and another young man who was friend that I mentioned before. Her, her son is Black. She's uh, from the States. And so our two sons are the only students of color in that classroom. And so they put them, their uh, characters, as Monty in the play. Now, out of all everybody else in the in the classroom, they didn't pick anyone else to be a monkey. And I remember just completely being embarrassed, going off, you know, asking, you know, confronting the teacher. Cause I, I didn't, I guess, realize that this, that this was what his part was gonna be. Um, nor if, if 
at that time could he have changed his part but long story short i confronted the principal again again i was hit with a lot of um backlash and you know just a lot of i i can't remember everything in detail but just the the tone of disrespect toward toward my son was just honestly was something i had never ever experienced and i knew it was because i was living in this country and i knew that they knew i didn't know my rights or how to get the support that I needed and I was lost I had only been there for a few months so I ended up pulling him out of the school um right at the end of the year I ended up keeping him there I remember calling my mother back in the states just crying I was so frustrated I said mom what am I supposed to do should I pull him out of the school should I keep him there so we both agreed to keep him because mind you my son had just came from the states he was in school half of a semester here I go putting him into this brand new school and to only pull him out two months later. And I said, well, I can't do that to my son. He's, got, he's gone through too much already in this short period of time. I'm going to keep him in there. So I just remember going up to the school every day, making my sh myself known, going to every single event that they had. I was letting them know for sure that I'm a caring mother and that I'm going to make sure that you are not mishandling or mistreating my son. So took him out of the school, moved him to a new school, which was a, the, the former school was a British-based curriculum. This school, the new school, was an American-based curriculum. So I just, you know, of course, thought this would be a better experience for him overall. And I would say for the first, let's say, six months, maybe, you know, four to six months, I didn't have any problems. Again, I felt that the curriculum wasn't rigorous. I knew, I knew the capacity of my son, and I felt that he wasn't being challenged. But you know what? If he was being treated fairly on other grounds, I'm okay with that. So there was this one particular incident when my son came home one day and he said, mom, he said, so-and-so teacher hit me. And I said, excuse me, you know, come again. You know, cause I, you know, that's just something that I, I've never ever heard my son speak on anybody hitting him. And at, at this time he was, he was seven. And so I immediately doubled back. I think it was probably the day I picked him up and I went in and talked to that principal at this new school. Of course, they, you know, they looked really confused and, you know, it, it, it was almost as if I was lying, but they said, well, we'll look into it. And I said, no, I need you to find out something immediately and get back to me. And so I was up there every single day in that man's office until I got the answer that I needed. And so this took maybe a couple of days. So finally they sat me down and said, well, we talked to the teacher. He said he didn't, you know, that your son wasn't listening. And he um, put his hand on his shoulder and told him to sit down or something like that. And I said, no, I know my son very well. I know my son does not lie. I know my son wouldn't lie about someone putting their hands on him. So I confronted the teacher myself and I asked him, and this is an Arabic man who, who did this. And I realized, I found out later on, there was three other black boys in the class who he did the same thing to, but he basically was hitting my son upside the back of his head. Now, mind you, if this was in the United States, that man would have been, you know, more than likely, um, you know, fired or, you know, some other, other extreme would have happened. But again, here I am as a parent, an angry, frustrated parent about the treatment of my son, and I'm not getting the support I need. I'm not getting the um, acknowledgement. I'm not, I, I was getting pushed off or brushed off. I was getting ignored by the principal to the point where they were avoiding me as I was coming in. And I felt like this angry, 
black woman basically is what they were treating me as if I was coming to some type of drama and all I, wanted, all I wanted was justice all I wanted was fairness all I wanted was for my son to go to a school environment every day feeling comfortable not threatened because of the color of his skin or because he spoke up or not feeling like someone is going to put their hands on him I, my son was actually traumatized by this experience and the sad part about it is here I am again not wanting to pull my son out of another school environment and I kept him there again because there was no other school that was in the vicinity that was uh, American curriculum for example and that I felt was in any better capacity than what I was in so I did I, I ended up um, meeting another black male teacher at that school and I just I said and I explained him the situation I said please you know look out for my son Lauren if you just understood as a mother and as a parent what that feels like you know I felt so powerless here I'm in this other country at that moment I just want to go home I don't want to be here anymore I don't want this wasn't the happy place that I thought I was gonna have where you know I'm you know bringing my son out of that culture in the states so now I'm, I'm over here abroad and he's experiencing even worse environments and circumstances and, you know, feeling like I didn't want my son to have to, to deal with that. And here I am not having family or friends there to help. So I just felt completely out of control, scared, and I just didn't know what to do. Um, there was other things that happened, you know, while I was there with my son, not necessarily from the school level. Um, we experienced racism, we experienced racist taunts, you know, it was, it was a lot. It wasn't all cookies and cream and, and roses as people may think, you know, I may have looked, posed it like that, but I even started a blog while I was over there to document all of the stuff that I was going through. And I remember being very vivid on these blogs because I wanted other people to know that this is real life, that it's not, you know, oh, I'm just riding on yachts every weekend and going to the beach. You know, I'm, I'm experiencing hardcore racism. You know, I would be dealing with things, you know, on a daily basis. That this is really interesting because what I'm, what I'm hearing from you was that you left a traumatic situation in the U S and then you go abroad, you even bring your son, you know, so he can be with you and there's more trauma. So how do you think that women in general, you know, of course, I'm always thinking about black women, but just women in general who are experiencing trauma and, you know, we're always looking for an outlet. And so for you, it was an extreme situation because you, you moved across the globe, but, you know, you, you still went through a lot. And as a mother, it's, it's certainly, it's, it's very disheartening when somebody's mistreating your child and you're doing something because you're trying to make a better life for them. How does one, how do you recommend people manage that? Or what type of support should they seek? You know, back then, I didn't know much about therapy or anything. And therapy was very taboo. You know, honestly, if, if it was right now and I was dealing with something like that, I, I think a lot more improved, by the way. So I, I don't think that a lot of things that I went through back then would have had a leg to stand on now. I think that there are a lot more systems in place and a lot more knowledge and information and resources available for women in general, not just living overseas, but, you know, in general to where they can get the support they need for troubling situations, especially when, when it comes to related to children, which is why I personally advocate for single moms now and present day, because I understand 
you know, the hardships that we may go through without the support of the husband, I would highly suggest getting the, seeking out, you know, some type of, of therapy or support group. But one thing I would meet other single moms and they were from the state, black mothers who were raising, some were raising sons. And so we would meet together um, in some instances as, as a group or individually try and trying to be consistent it started out as just play dates where we try to get our boys together so they can have an outlet with somebody of familiarity to them and then it ended up where we were able to connect more because we were having some similar experiences being black women teaching in these different um classroom environments teaching a new country the stairs that we would get how people would ignore us as we check out because you know they think that we oh there's a lot of african influence in the uae and so people of african descent and that side of and we don't get treated with respect so we were categorized as that uh, until we open our mouth and then it we would get a little bit different response. Well, I do recall seeing you. I saw you one, I, I can't remember if it was around the holiday season or not, but I saw you in a Target one day <laughs> and I didn't know that you were home. You had came home, I think you were in Uganda at the time and you had came home and you and I were just talking about your interest in working with single moms and you were still, you know, you're, you were going back. You're going back to teach. You're going back home to Uganda. Let's talk about how you transitioned from being abroad to moving back to the States and actually this vision that you had, you know, it manifested. And, and here we are, you're working with single mothers in Las Vegas. Right. Well, speaking of Uganda, I, I have to share a little bit about that because that kind of helps to, sh to shed some light on why the single moms, my, my passion for single moms came about. But I did spend some time in Uganda. I spent a year and a half in Uganda right after I left the UAE. And my experience there was totally different. Um, my son's experience there was totally different. Um, both, of course, both situations had their own unique challenges. What I can say is that, so my son, I was there a year by myself in Uganda. And so I decided to bring him over the following year. So we were going to do a whole nother year, possibly two years together in Uganda. Well, that, that, year that I brought him over that the beginning of the academic year which was in 2016 I think August 2016 my son okay so Uganda is a very tropical climate country you know they're very close to the equator and it the, the weather is very tropical so I had never known of my son to have any significant issues in terms of health I knew that he had um, had issues with with allergies in the past he as a child, he had um, upper respiratory inf infections quite frequently, but I didn't really know um, any other underlying issues. So I remember maybe about a month after we got there, I got a call because he, uh, he ended up going to school with me because um, I was teaching at an international school in Uganda, so he could actually go to school with me. So that was so much better. So I didn't have to worry about the mistreatment as much. Plus, this was an international school. So there was teachers from all over. They were more equipped to manage um, international students. And they, it was just a better environment for both of us overall. But I remember getting a call from the nurse who said, you know, do you have a few minutes if you can come to the nurse office? And I just remember dropping everything and running across this large campus it looks like a college campus um to the nurse's office and i mean just you know when you get that phone call about your child that they don't want to communicate with you over the phone you know it has to be pretty bad and so i get all the way over there i'm just 
you know, really panicking what's going on. And they are telling me it looks, you know, it looks like he's having an asthma attack. And I said, what do you mean an asthma attack? My son doesn't have asthma. What are you talking about? You know, so I just remember seeing him sitting on the nursing bed, just really had really having a hard time catching his breath and taking a deep breath. And I'm just, just, just racing in my mind trying to figure out when did I miss this? How come this has never come up before? Here I am again in a foreign country by myself, you know, not having the resources or the support, you know, my son is suffering. Now it's in a different capacity, of course, because it's in the health with his health. And so I remember them being able to calm him down. He was okay. Um, but it just didn't sit right with me because I just felt like, okay, this kind of came all of a sudden. Why did this come all of a sudden? What's really happening? So I took him to the doctor. It was a Ugandan doctor, local doctor. I didn't, I, in addition to the time that this was happening, I was having some complications with getting my insurance situated. So they were really trying to overcharge me. So at the time I didn't have any insurance. And a lot of times they try to take advantage of, of Americans or, you know, British people because they feel you have a lot of money. And so I was kind of getting a lot of back and forth uh, communication and nothing, nothing solidified. So I was just bit, pretty much out there without any insurance. So I took them to this doctor, it was like a clinic that didn't have, they didn't need to accept insurance. So you can just imagine the environment. And the doctor pretty much laughed in my face and he said, ha ha ha, you know, give him an inhaler and, you know, pretty much have a nice day, you know, and I thought, wow, you know, how insensitive can you be? My son is dealing with this asthma of whatever. I don't even know what to call it because I've never seen it before, you know, in all of his life. And this is all I get is an inhaler. So I didn't, again, this didn't sit right with me, but at least I had the inhaler. I had no idea how to work it or use it, but he had it. So fast forward about, let's say two weeks later, my son is out outside he's playing basketball with some friends and they come in the neighborhood and he runs upstairs and he says mom well he, he just he had this flushed look on his face and he was kind of you know in between breaths telling me he, he was it was having a hard time catching his breath and he felt his chest was tightening up and it was getting worse and I said just sit down you know calm down and just you know relax but here I am just panicking so long story short you know I do you know give them the inhaler and everything so the last and final um moment he had another attack and i don't remember where he was i want to say he might have been at school in pe or something like that i don't remember and that was it that was it for me because i at that point i was contemplating returning back to the state but here i was in the middle of a contract i didn't want to break my contract because i knew that had i broke my contract it might mess up my opportunity to get another overseas position again, because they, um, they, they basically, they have a certain term for it, but if you, if you break your contract, they put you on some type of supposed list that would, you know, maybe prevent you from getting a, another job. So I was really worried about that. I was worried about leaving and not having any income. And then here I was enjoying my life in Uganda. Who wants to, you know, leave you know, living on the continent. I mean, I was literally, literally living my best life, you know? And so I, and then in addition to that, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this, but earlier that year, January, 2016, I remember I was having some, some pains in my left breast. And I remember going to a doctor out in Uganda, because at that time I was still living in Uganda. 
who basically told me I was too young to get a mammogram, but she would do an ultrasound on me. So when she did the ultrasound, they found a spot on my left breast. Now, mind you, my mother has had breast cancer twice and my grandmother has had breast cancer. So I don't play around with anything when it comes to, to that area of my body because I know that it's, it, it runs in my family. And so I was really upset because here I am with this pain I was experiencing. They found a spot in my breast and I was in, an, in the country again by myself. And all they were able to tell me was, you know, come back in six months and we will check it out. So I didn't come back in six months. At that time, I was anxious to go back home for the summer to return to the States, spend time with my son and my family, and just kind of, you know, recoup from a year in Uganda. So here I go, I'm back now with my son, and he's experiencing all these asthma issues. And I remember going to a Zumba class, and they had a guest speaker who was a breast, a, like a five-time breast cancer survivor and something you know, hit me in my spirit and said, you never went back and got checked out. So I immediately the following week made an appointment to go be seen by one of the doctors there. And so again, they weren't able to give me a mammogram, but they were able to still see this spot. And so here, so I'm in addition to my son dealing with his asthma issues, I'm also stressing out because they have found this spot on my breast. So I, I didn't know what to think. So now it's November and I'm contemplating leaving. I talked to my supervisor who was very open to it, but the director of the school wasn't. He wasn't willing to support me. He you know, basically told me to get over it. My son would be okay, but you cannot leave the school. You have, you know, you have to stay. So now I'm not only dealing with my own health issues and my son's issues, but the stress of my job giving me a very difficult time um leaving and and honestly i didn't pose it to them as if, as though i was leaving the job i was saying hey i need to return to the states so we can go get some some adequate medical attention i had found another doctor for my son and he was a british doctor who also told me he said straight up this is a horrible environment for any asthmatic and if you stay it's going to continue to get worse and he was the most candid out of everybody and I was at that moment, I felt that that was confirmation for me that I that I, I could either compromise my son's health or and stay for the job or just step out on faith and do the best that I needed to for my son. So regarding why I'm so passionate about single moms is because as a single mom, I've been through so much. I've had to endure so much by myself, you know, dealing with having to have so many traumatic experiences overseas dealing with um you know co-parenting issues with his son i mean with with his father i'm sorry and you know just having a lot of things that i didn't have access to different resources i didn't have the support group i didn't have an outlet i didn't have other single moms around me um, in Uganda, for example, or even in the States that were dealing with some of the things that I was dealing with. So I said, even when I was in Uganda in the UAE, if I could ever have the opportunity to create a outlet for moms um, to, to network, to fellowship, to build a community, um, to share resources, then I would do just that. So that's kind of how, you know, my whole idea of of supporting single moms came about. So, so what what is your work? What does your work with single mothers look like now? How would you describe it? Well, I 
founded a group. I wouldn't say it was an organization. I found a group called Single Moms Who Rise. And RISE is an acronym and it stands for Restore, Ignite, Succeed, and Evolve. And basically what that looks like is we meet once a month. We have different themed activities monthly. Um, Just to give you some examples, we've met up, we've had dance classes, we've had co-parenting conversations, we've had vision board parties. Last month we did something, um, a self-love and singleness discussion where I had a guest speaker come in and speak and talk. This month we are having a first-time home buyer workshop for single moms who are interested in buying their first home or, and who are interested in restoring their credit. Um, I have some other ideas coming up in the future. I have someone who does, she's an avid couponer. She's going to come in and teach us a workshop on how to save money through couponing. Um, you know, doing collaborative things with our children, different outings is something I would like to do. So this, the main goal of the meetups was to give moms the outlet of, meeting other moms, but also to expose them to different resources here in the Las Vegas community. Okay. So how, how does all this tie in to your book now? How would you describe that whole relationship, uh, this journey that you've taken and the, the book that you are just recently releasing and that people are going to be able to really just take in and hopefully glean from. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And that is definitely my vision for this book. Lauren, let me tell you. So the book, I honestly, and you know, you and I've had conversations about this. It was really a struggle for me to release this book because I really put in there a lot of transparent moments of my experiences, not only in the toxic relationships, but just as I evolved as the woman I am today and all the different struggles and experiences that I've had along the way. And so it was a struggle because I'm pretty much a very private person in some aspects. I mean, I do share things on social media to an extent, but I don't really open up a lot unless I'm very comfortable or close to you. So to actually put this book out there, which also, as I was telling you earlier in the conversation, I started journaling and a lot of this book came from my journaling experience. I I was journaling so much because of the bitterness and the frustration I experienced. And that's kind of how it turned into a book. But as far as what I'm doing now, I wanted my book to be an inspiration for single moms. Honestly, I wanted my book to show other single moms that yes, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of everything that you've gone through, regardless of the label that you think that you are, you still have, you still can thrive. You still can live your best life. You still can, can accomplish your dreams and live the life of your dreams. Living abroad has always been a dream of mine. And to say that I've traveled to over 15 countries with my son and, you know, lived abroad for three and a half years. It's a dream of mine. I'm very proud of that. And I still talk about that today. And to be able to say that I wrote a book about my experiences, to say that I started a group for single moms and say that I'm, I'm doing the things that I, I love to do is, is huge for me because there was a time in my life when, you know, I shared early in the conversation when I felt like my life was literally over. When I read that pregnancy test, I said, oh my gosh, I'm done. You know, I might as well be on welfare for the rest of my life. Who's going to want me at this point? I'm a single mom. I've had a child out of wedlock. I don't, at the time I was unemployed, so I didn't have a job. So I didn't see any, I didn't see past my struggle. I didn't see past that. I just saw 
me in this box for the rest of my life as a struggling single mother, just just living off of um, government assistance. And I know it's really, it, it sounds really shocking, but that's honestly how I looked at my life. And to say that I came from that mentality to where I'm at today is huge. And I wrote that book to, like I said, motivate, to inspire and to encourage the next woman, especially the single mother of color, to know that do not allow your past to, to, to set boundaries or limitations for you. Don't allow all of the mess that you've gone through to make you feel that you got to stay stuck in that mentality. No, you can get yourself up. You can brush yourself off. You can start moving forward in purpose. And that's exactly what I did. But it took me realizing that it took me taking a stand to get up and say, I've had enough. I am worth more and making a, tr a dr drastic decision to move abroad. Now I'm not saying everybody has to, to make a decision to drastically just drastic as I did to move abroad, but it may be something as significant as, you know, making a declaration or a pledge of your life or affirming things of your life to tell yourself that, no, I will not take this anymore. I'm better than this. I deserve this. And I will put myself in positions and environments that's going to help me recognize my worth. And I had to do just that. And so that's what this is all about, Lauren. I share transparently because I, I, I want mothers to relate to my story. I want other people to connect with me and to know that, yes, I was that mother. I was that single mother. Yes, I was a mother on food stamps. Yes, I was the mother who had a negative bank account balance. Yes, I was the mother who was almost evicted. Yes, I was a mother who barely had enough money to buy my son diapers at one point, who couldn't pay for the daycare, who was in and out of court dealing with child support issues who um, who just dealt with all types of toxic verbal abuse in these relationships, who dealt with um, compromising my body and my mind and really selling myself um, for less. And I, that was me. But I was able to, to get out of that and move to a place of self-love, you know, self-love, self-acknowledgement, self-recognizing the worth of who I am as a woman and the value of the, what I bring to this world and that I have something to offer and that I will not continue to keep myself bound in my pain or in my dysfunction or in the confusion that I've dealt with in my life. So I'm extremely excited to read this story and to really just sit down and just learn from it all because I think that so many of us have had these struggles. And, you know, whether women are um, single moms or new moms or new wives or people who are just going through different things, I think we can all relate to not really understanding or struggling with knowing our self-worth at some point in our lives. You know, making decisions, trying to deal with one, one situation and sometimes find ourselves in another hole and how do you deal with it? How do you cope with that? And so I think that you're creating a wonderful community, you know, of women, of people who are, you know, really trying to just figure out what works for them. And so I'm so excited for you. I thank you for being brave to share your story. I thank you for taking the time and just saying, you know what, it's not just about me. There's other women out there. There are other black boys out there who who have moms who have experienced something similar. And then maybe you may even inspire people to go ahead and take their trip and go abroad and do something different. So I'm so excited to hear about all the different reviews and the comments and the responses that you would get from people reading this book, because I really think it's going to empower women. And I know that's your goal. And I believe you're going to definitely achieve that. Amen. And I received that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So of course, now the big question is, how do we get the book? Yes, absolutely. Well, 
I'm excited to say that the book is now on Amazon. So that's, that's amazing. So you can find the book on Amazon. I also have a separate, um, on my website, um, as well as a site specifically for my book. So any of those locations, you can purchase my book. I will more than likely in Las Vegas, I will be doing a book signing at some point. And I know that I, I've been already asked to vend at some events. And so I'm excited, you know, I'm excited to have the opportunity to share my story and I'm excited to be able to have these different avenues of where I can, where my book can be purchased. So in the meantime, how can people follow you? And also one question I want to ask is that how can people, women, especially in the Las Vegas area or wherever you plan to take, you know, your work, how can they get involved with your, your group for single moms? Oh, awesome. Yes. So we have a private Facebook group called Single Moms Who Rise on Face on on Facebook. And it's it's an exclusive group. It's a very small group of moms. And you know, the goal of the group is for us to use that as an another outlet of, you know, communicating, sharing resources, sharing our story. And so that group is not only just for Las Vegas moms, but I've opened it up to moms all around the U.S. So there's moms from Chicago, there's moms um, in, in definitely other cities around the U.S. that are part of the group. Um, and again, my mission is just to empower and to motivate, inspire, and also to, to allow other mothers to connect because I believe we all have similarities and things that we can relate to. And so that they can definitely join there. And if they're in the Las Vegas area, you can join the group to find information about our meetups. But we meet on the third Sunday of every month. And again, each month is a different theme or topic associated with how it can help to improve the value and the quality of, of our lives as single moms. Okay. And are you on social media and the handles that we can kind of jot down so we can follow you? Yes, on Facebook, I'm under my name as Kristen Woodruff. On Instagram, I was actually considering changing my name, but currently my name is now Miss Black Expat, and that name comes from my experiences abroad. I never changed my name. And I also have a YouTube channel, which actually, it would be very insightful to your listeners, Lauren, because I recorded a lot of YouTube videos when I lived in Uganda. So if they're ever interested in just seeing some of the experiences that I had in Uganda, definitely check out my YouTube channel. And I also have a lot of videos on self-worth and value for single moms. I actually had a series that I started called Be Your Best Self. And on that series, I have different videos that talk about loving on yourself, valuing yourself, understanding your worth and your purpose. And so again, the, the goal of those videos were to inspire and to motivate other moms to live their best life. So that channel is also under Miss Black Expat. Okay. All right. Well, again, I'm excited about getting this book. I'm excited about everybody tuning in and just kind of following you. 
I will say I, my other confession is that I used to really enjoy watching those videos when you were abroad because again it took me a little while to figure out that you were away and when I realized you were away it kind of fed our interest in my family for us experiencing that as well though so you definitely helped us in that area though because we were like okay this is what it's like and they were very entertaining as well so you're really good at you know making sure that people were entertained and also well informed <laughs> with your work and so kudos to you for that so having said all that um we can follow you now we know how to get your book we we're all excited and rooting for you what do you want to share with the audience in terms of like just parting words you want to say anything any words of encouragement any advice the floor is yours yeah absolutely i honestly just want to say that really really simple you know, this is your opportunity to live your best life. You know, don't stay stuck in your past. Don't allow, you know, your your any negative experiences to cloud your judgment. You know, this is the opportunity right now to take advantage of the gifts and the talents that God has given you and to know that the sky's the limit. One thing I tell my son every day, we have these pep talks in the car on the in the morning, I have him share, say affirmations and what he what he's in gratitude for. We talk about his, um, his entrepreneurial journey, um, and you know, I, I I talk it as if it's happening, you know. But it, it, I also just want to say, just speak into our future, speak into our children, continue to speak into your children because this is our future. This these are the these are this is who's going to be moving this country forward because we still have a long, long way to go. Um, and so we need to pour into them as much as possible. But as, as adults and as moms and as women and even the men, we have the ability to still be game changers. You know, don't stay stuck in the mentality that it's too late or I don't have this, or I don't have that. It's never too late. It's never ever too late to, to move forward and, and be and be your best and be and do the best that you can and to be the game changer that you were created to be. Okay. Well, I definitely receive that as well. Thank you so much, Sora, friend. You know, you've been around a long time. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey with us today. Yes, Lauren. And I so appreciate you. You've been such a blessing and such a great friend and everything along this whole journey at, of me writing this book and just my journey overall. And I just really appreciate you. And I thank you so much for everything that you have, have graciously given to me, you know, your time and your advice and your wisdom. And for, for that, I will be forever grateful. Oh, well, of course, it, always, always. That's never going to change, though. Remember, I had to think back on that really nice girl who was nice to that little freshman at EIU. So, <laughs> well, having said all that, I'm going to let you go because you got some books to, um, to get out here. I know people are placing orders today. Today is a huge day for you, though, so I, I'm not going to be. Yes. It's a big day, though, so congrats again. Well, family, I want to thank you for tuning in. Until next time, I will talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the Confessions of a Melanated Queen podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us five stars and a review. I appreciate all of your love and support. I look forward to chatting with you next week.